Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada. This week on Back to the Bible, well, we have a special guest, Andy Steiger from Apologetics Canada, and him along with Dr. John Newfell will provide thoughtful answers to some of life's most important questions. So we welcome Andy Steiger today as we talk about what is the meaning of life. Hi, it's Dr. John Newfeld here today, and I'm delighted to have with me as a special guest for this entire week, Andy Steiger. Andy is the founder and director of Apologetics Canada. It's an organization dedicated to helping churches across Canada better understand and engage in today's culture. Andy, it's a delight to have you. I know that you were my student years ago, and uh, so that's my claim to fame to you. And also, uh, I know that you are my pastor now because you're on pastoral staff at the church that my wife and I attend. So, Andy, it's great to have you here in studio. Welcome to Back to the Bible Canada. Thank you. It's good to be with you, getting to speak on some of these important subjects. Uh, As was mentioned, I'm the director of Apologetics Canada, and if that's a new term to you, the word apologetics is a Greek word, uh, apologia. Now, the Apostle Peter uses this word in 1 Peter 3.15 when he says that we need to be able or willing to give an apologia or an answer, a reason for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, and to do that with gentleness and respect. And so what I wanted to do uh, today was talk on the question of what is the meaning of life, to give an answer or a reason for why we have meaning and what that meaning is. Now, this is something that I got into uh, a while ago. In fact, when I first started Apologetics Canada, I began to speak at different coffee shops as I was addressing just kind of fundamental questions that our culture is wrestling with. And this is one of the fundamental questions of our time. Does life have meaning? And if so, what is that meaning? Now, this is a question that I've personally dealt with for a number of years. Now, I grew up in a broken family. My dad left my mom when I was about five years old. We grew up poor, grew up with very little, grew up without a dad. And I remember growing up and thinking to myself, you know, what is the meaning of all of this? You know, why am I here? Now, I'm one of those people, maybe you can relate with this, that finds myself in a peculiar situation. I'm on a blue rock spinning around a massive fireball and a dark, vacuous universe. At some point, I think that we need to stop and think about the fact that it's a little odd that we find ourselves here. And we, and we ask the question, well, why am I here? And I remember as a kid thinking to myself, what is the reason for all of this? And particularly when you're growing up in a difficult situation like I was. I remember that my mom would often come up to me as a kid, and and I think she would say this as an encouragement, but she would look at me and, and she would pull me close and she would say, Andy, I know that you'll do great things with your life. And the truth is, I think all of us want to do something great with our lives, but we're not sure what that is. And the older I got as a kid, I began to think more and more, I mean, what does it mean to do great things with your life? And when will I know that I've actually done something great with my life? Many people have wrestled through this question, and this ultimately leads to what I call accomplishment climbing. It's where we begin to go up the mountains of life seeking to achieve higher and higher achievements, to do greater and greater things seeking to make something of ourselves. I remember for me, the first accomplishment that I wanted to climb was going to college. See, no one in my family had ever gone to college, and I thought to myself, well, if I graduate from college— Surely that will have done, you know, something great with my life. 
But then you get to the top of that peak and you realize that what you thought would satisfy you hasn't satisfied you. And what you thought was great, you realize that there's actually quite higher mountains and there's greater things to do. And so then I set my sights to getting a master's degree, set my sights to getting married, having kids. And we continue to do this seeking something that will fulfill us. You know, in the Bible, King Solomon speaks of how he tried everything. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he says, I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in the hard work, the reward of all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Now, maybe it's difficult for you to relate with a king, but how about a football store? I, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite quarterbacks is Tom Brady. Tom Brady has had a fantastic career with the New England Patriots, and I heard him give an interview on 60 Minutes that really caught me off guard. He said this, he, he, he said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings? Now he has four. But why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is it. I've reached it, my goal, my dreams. Me, I think, God, there's got to be more than this. To which Steve Crawford interviewing him asked, well, what's the answer? To which Tom responded, I wish I knew, I wish I knew. Now, this catches me off guard because I think to myself, now here's somebody who's climbed a mountain much higher than I will ever climb, and it didn't satisfy him. It makes you to stop and think, what will satisfy you? This is something that I had began to think a lot about. Will I ever be satisfied? I remember reading Leo Tolstoy, who talks about having this midlife crisis in a book called Confessions. And he relates how he had accomplished everything he wanted to. He was a great writer. He had a great wife. He had lots of money. He had a great house. He had it all. And to everyone's account, I mean, he, of all people, should be happy. But yet he finds himself falling down on his kitchen floor, taking a knife, pointing in his chest, ready to end his life because it all felt so meaningless. Nothing had satisfied him. You know, Augustine said that the heart of man is restless. And I found myself as a young man in that place. I felt restless until I began to think, maybe I've been going at this thing all wrong. Here I'd been trying to accomplishment climb, trying to find my own meaning, seeking to answer the meaning of life for myself. But maybe I had been approaching this from the wrong direction. And I began to head in the direction of asking, God, why am I here? You see, this is one of the fundamental qualities of meaning. Things don't have meaning in and of themselves. Persons give things meaning. We give all sorts of things meaning, such as a painting. Now, I want you to think about a painting for a moment here. When you create a painting and you begin to use these colors on a canvas and you begin to endow it with meaning, imagine that a scientist were come along and he were to analyze that painting. If he were to analyze the, the paint and, the, and how the light is reflecting off of that paint and how your eyes are perceiving it, could he ever determine why you painted it? And the reality is, is that that is not a question that you can answer through some sort of scientific investigation. Or what about this? What if your friend came over and took a look at your painting? Could they guess at why you painted it? And actually, it reminds me of one day when I came home from work. I, I came home and I saw that my kids had 
painted their own little painting. It was four stick figures, and it was taped to my son's door. And when I looked at it, what I noticed was that there were four stick figures. Two of them were small. Two of them were large. Now, the two large stick figures had a circle around them with a line through it. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, this isn't good. Like, things have not been well at the Steiger house. Now, I could have guessed at what that meant, and, and my guess would have been that my kids don't like me. I could have done a scientific investigation of the paper, but that's not going to tell me anything other than how they created it, not why they created it. What do you need to do if you want to know why somebody created something? This is a fundamental question. You need to ask the author. So I went to my son and I said, Tristan, why did you create this painting? To which he said, well, dad, listen, when I put this onto my door, it means that William and I, that's his younger brother, when William and I are wrestling inside that you can't come in and stop us, which really meant, dad, I want to beat up my younger brother and I don't want you to stop me. To which I said to him, that's not going to happen. But we find ourselves in a similar place. You see, I didn't create myself. I didn't bring myself into existence. So how can I possibly know why I'm here? If I want to know the answer to that question, I need to find the author of life, specifically the author of human life. What you find then when you begin to seek out the question for the meaning of life, that you need two things in order to answer this question. You need the author of life and you need eternal life. I mean, imagine that I were to rip up my son's painting and I were to throw it into the garbage or I were to burn it in a fire. I mean, would it still have meaning? No, I mean, that meaning would be gone. It would be burnt up. When we go to answer this question, what we're looking for is the author of life and eternal life. Now, Jesus claimed both of these things of himself. He claimed to be the author of life and to have eternal life. But more than that, in the Bible, Jesus gives an answer to the meaning of life that we can not only study, but see, how does this relate to my life? Does this answer the question, what is the meaning of life? We'll return with more from Andy Steiger in just a moment. You know, Back to the Bible is nearly 60 years old. What a privilege to minister to literally millions of people. We still hear from those who originally listened to the founder, Theodore Epp, a man absolutely committed to faithful Bible teaching and innovation for maximum impact. We embrace that same spirit today. Two years ago, Dr. John Newfeld became the exclusive Bible teacher for Back to the Bible Canada, and the response has been humbling and inspiring. And 2017 looks to offer the greatest opportunity for ministry yet. Expansion on radio, Dr. Newfeld's new podcast, Truth and Life, a developing Bible engagement ministry for kids, and a new young adult multimedia Bible study are but a few of the things that are happening at Back to the Bible Canada. So join us as we embrace both legacy and opportunity. Support Support our year-end campaign to raise $355,000 by December 31st. Call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or donate online at backtothebible.ca. Now let's go back to the Bible with Andy Steiger. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus answers the question, what is the meaning of life? Now, he's just been in Jerusalem. He's raised a ruckus, kicking over moneylenders, whipping them out of the temple. And now he's come back and he wants to do some teaching. 
Now, the Pharisees are upset with him. The religious leaders are upset with him, and they want to trap him in his words. And I'm starting now here in verse 13. And we read, later, they sent some Pharisees, that's Jewish religious leaders, and Herodians, that's Jewish political leaders, to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, that's a Greek word for actor, that they're acting. He says, why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So they brought him a coin and he, he takes it. He, he holds it up and he says, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar, they replied. Then Jesus said, well, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And then it says this, and they were amazed at him. Now, I've often wondered, I mean, what was so amazing about what he had just said about, about the teaching there? To his Jewish audience, Jesus had left them with an implied question. You see, what belongs to God? Well, Jesus has just explained what belongs to Caesar. See, the coin belonged to Caesar. Why? Because it bears his image. And so Jesus is saying to give to God what belongs to God, that which bears God's image. Now, the Jews understood from Genesis that we bear the image of God. And so Jesus is now challenging the people to give back to God what belongs to him, you. Now, now hearing this, the, the religious leaders are quite impressed by Jesus' answer. So they decide that they want to test him on a, a really tough question here. They're going to really press him. So in verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, you have to understand, this is like the Jewish equivalent of what is the meaning of life, Jesus? What's the most important thing for me to understand about this life? To which Jesus responds, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God. There is only one creator. And it's not you is basically what he's saying there. And now in verse 30, he continues in saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus is basically saying, listen, if you want to know what the meaning of life is, it's this simple, love God and love people. This is what you were created for. Now let's think about that for a moment. Not only is this what you were created for, but this is who created you. You see, you were made in the image of God, which raises the question, I mean, what image were you made in then? Well, we understand from the Bible that we were made in the image of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a relational God, a triune God. It shouldn't surprise us then that we desire, that we need relationship. We are relational beings. You know, I like the way St. Augustine went on to say, he said that the heart of man is restless until it rests in you. And the reality is, is that your life will continue to be restless as you seek to accomplish ever more higher accomplishments in your life, which, by the way, will lead to ever lower valleys as you try to set your sights to the next highest achievement that you're going to seek after. 
each of which will leave you restless. You see, the problem with seeking after wealth, success, and greatness is that they can never satisfy you. There's always more wealth to be had. There's always more to succeed at. And there's always someone greater than you. But you weren't created for these things. You were created for relationship. And you will never be satisfied until you are in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. This is what Jesus wants to seek to accomplish in your life. He wants to bring you into a right relationship with God through the cross that you might know that God loves you. You see, it's not God trying to get you to come to him. It's God coming to you, so making a way so that you could come back into right relationship with him. And he wants to then teach you how to love other people. Now, I find that this is really interesting answer. Not that long ago, I went to Mexico. I went to a hospital for cancer patients. Now, these were patients that had tried every form of therapy that was out there in the United States or from another country that that hadn't helped. And this was basically their last ditch effort to save their life. They were willing to try any sort of experimental medication. So I went in the hospital. I went room to room. As I began to ask people, would they like me to pray for them? And I remember going into each of these rooms and and each person was more than willing to have me pray over them. But I noticed something in each room. I noticed that people didn't have pictures of their cars. They didn't have pictures of their house. They didn't have their laptop with them. They didn't have their iPad or their phone. You see, people don't surround themselves with their possessions as they come close to death. Death has a way of reminding us of what really matters in life. I notice that people that come close to death, they surround themselves with people. Intuitively, we understand that relationships really matter. I'm convinced that when we look back at our life of all the different investments that we've made, that we will not regret the relational investments that we've made in this life. This is what Leo Tolstoy ultimately came to understand. He began to stop accomplishment climbing and decided that he would look elsewhere like I did as a young man to find his meaning, to which he found in Jesus Christ, and it changed his life. He wrote this towards the end of his book. He said, in the course of a whole year, when almost every minute I was asking myself whether I should end it all with a rope or a bullet, when I was occupied with the thoughts of my observations I have described, My heart was tormented with an agonizing feeling, this feeling I can only describe as a search for God. It was a feeling of dread, of loneliness, of forlornness in the midst of it all that was alien to me. And it was a feeling of hope for someone's help. This help Tolstoy ended up finding in Jesus Christ is he saw that he was created to be in relationship with God and that God was going to help him through Jesus Christ know how to be in right relationship with people. You know, the Apostle Paul had a similar experience to Tolstoy. He was in opposition with God until he met the living God in Jesus Christ and it changed his life. He went from hating Romans and hating Christians to loving the Gentiles and to loving and building the church. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 how important love is. And then he ends that chapter by saying, now we have these three things, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. 
And I think what Paul is getting at here is that the reason why love is so important is when we die, we will no longer need our faith and our hope will be fulfilled. And the only thing that we will have remaining is the love in which we live this life. We need to stop chasing after all of those things that we think are going to satisfy us and just trust in Him that we were created to love God and to love people. Uh, thank you, Andy. I mean, that's uh, that's a great start for, for a week that we're going to spend on some apologetics questions. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to get to know you just a little bit more. I mean, you and I have uh, known each other uh, for a number of years, although we, you know, I know you in, in my class. And, and yeah, I had you in my, a Bible class yeah. for the book of Hebrews. Yeah, yeah. One of the best classes I ever had. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, I'll pay you later for that. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it's uh, let's just get to know you a little bit more so that our listeners can know who they're listening to this week. Um, you're married. You have children. Yeah. My wife's name's Nancy. We've been married for 15 years. I have two boys, which I was incredibly thankful for. I grew up with three sisters, and so I remember praying, Jesus, give me, <laughs> give me boys. Uh, I have a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. I love my boys dearly. We have some great adventures as a family. And our most recent addition is we have a dog named Wilson. Wow. So coming from a, a, a family that was broken— Mm. And, uh, you know, coming to know Christ and now forming a, a whole family uh, with your wife and yourself and uh, learning to love her and your kids. So when you talk about meaning in life, I mean, you're living this kind of thing. Absolutely. I mean, even in simple ways, like when I come home from work and I see my two little boys greet me at the door and they say, Dad, will you go jump on the trampoline with me? You see, I began to understand like, that that is what you were created for, Andy. You were meant to, to spend time loving your kids. You, know, you, were, you were meant to, to spend time loving your wife and that those are moments that you will cherish and you will never regret the time you spend investing into people. And you know how cross-cultural what you're saying actually is. Everything that you've said today is so cross-cultural because our culture is saying, you're about accomplishments, you're about degrees, you're about the kind of money that you earn and the car that you drive, and that's what you're about. And that's, isn't that the, how our culture does it? The first two things that we ask each other is, what's your name and what's your profession? And, and I got to tell you, most of my life, I was never proud of my name. My dad gave, my, gave me up for adoption as soon as my mom remarried. My, my, this, is a, this is an adopted last name for me. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, one of the things I want to give my kids is I want to I give them a name they're proud of because they have a dad who loves them and spent time with them. Amen. Wow. Meeting in life. Let's continue on throughout this week in the same vein. Well, we want to thank Andy Steiger for being with us today as we continue in a series called Thinking, Answering Life's Five Biggest Questions. You can hear more tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Are you making plans to join Laugh Again's own Phil Calloway and award-winning guitarist Jay Calder for the third annual Laugh Again Christmas Tour? Well, it's not too late, at least for a few cities. This unique Christmas event is filled with laughter, storytelling, and Christmas music, all aimed at offering an evening of celebration for the whole family and the community. The Laugh Again Tour has been created in partnership with Back to the Bible Canada and Compassion Canada and hosted by gracious local host churches. Our final few tour dates from December 6th to the 8th include St. Catharines, Ottawa and Barrie, Ontario. 
Tickets can be purchased in advance through the local church hosts or online at laughagain.ca, where you'll also find the complete lists of churches involved. For more information or to order your tickets, go to laughagain.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425.